Hello everybody, my name is Julio El Cerro. I'm from Nicaragua. And our scripture reading today will be from Matthew chapter 28, verses 80 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God bless you. It's one thing to sing about Jesus as the cornerstone. It's another thing to build your life on that cornerstone. And I hope that you're doing that. There are a lot of things that you could choose as the foundation for your life. Look around you. Those options are plentiful. And yet none of those things can give true life, eternal life. Only Jesus. I'm glad you're here today. We're going to take a short break from our Revelation series. Just for a couple more weeks, we're going to put the seals and the scrolls and the locusts and the horsemen and the beast from the abyss on the shelf, and we are going to draw our attention to what it means to have God work in us and through us to have an impact in this world, specifically today, what it means for God to use us to advance the cause of Christ, to make disciples throughout the world. In this short series we're calling Great, these messages, last week the Great Command, this week the Great Commission, and next week what we're calling the Great Contradiction, that true greatness isn't found in power or prestige, but as Jesus not only taught, but as he demonstrated, true power is found in humility and service. These messages are not detached from the message of Revelation. It's not like we're, we're talking about something completely different. In fact, they are part of the arc of Scripture. You see, there is a consistent story throughout Scripture. Open your Bible and you will see this story that God is at work, that God is redeeming the world, that he is bringing renewal and hope, and that ultimately he will make all things new. We've read that in Revelation in that series a new heaven and a new earth. And certainly that is the culmination of the end of the Bible, the last word of Revelation. And we look forward to that day. And God wants all of us, not just us in this room, he wants all of us, all of humankind, to be a part of that glorious day, to see the culmination of God's renewing efforts to make all things new. He wants everyone there. He wants everyone to be a part of his kingdom. If we have learned anything in this life, especially over the past several months, certainly over the past few weeks, it is that things here aren't as they should be. I have said that phrase too many times recently at funerals. I have thought that phrase too many times as I saw events unfold in our world and in our nation I, like you, have lamented as we have witnessed the divisiveness, the hostility, the selfishness, the chaos in our world. I long for God to bring light into this dark world. And that is the good news, that God is doing that. 
He is, in fact, making all things new. There is hope, there is light, just as Jesus taught us in that what we call the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer, that we would pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. God is bringing heaven to earth. God is bringing about the renewal of the perfect heaven into this imperfect world. And one day we will witness the culmination, the culmination of God's renewing efforts in its fullness. This imperfect life will be caught up in eternity. Death will be swallowed up in eternal life. And we praise God for that. Well, someone may say, well, why why does God wait? Why doesn't God just go ahead and do that now? What is the delay, God? If we are waiting on something that is so glorious and so good, let's go. Bring it on. It reminds me of when I was a kid and my brother and I used to to try to get our parents to give us the Christmas presents early. In our house, there was a strict rule. You open presents on Christmas morning. Now, if the neighbors did it on Christmas Eve, we'll pray for them, but in our house... It was Christmas morning, no exceptions, and we would try everything. We would try reasoning and logic. Come on, Mom. You know, gift-giving is just a social construct invented to boost the economy by this manic consumerism that it produces. What? (laughs) There's the spirit of Christmas. We would try logic. That wouldn't work. We would try bargaining. Come on, just one present. Just one present early, We'll open the rest of them Christmas morning. Just let us open one Christmas Eve. That didn't work. So we would finally resort to begging. Please, please. That didn't work either. It never worked. We always had to wait. And I think about God has this beautiful thing in store for us. This culmination of him making all things new. This new heaven, this new earth. And I want to say, why are you waiting, God? Bring it on now. But you and I know the answer, don't we? We know why God waits. Because not everyone on this planet is in the family of God. Not every person has claimed their inheritance as a child of God. Not everyone has heard the gospel. Not everyone has responded to to the gospel. And some who have heard the gospel have rejected it and they have made something else Lord of their life, the cornerstone of their life, rather than Jesus And God wants all people to come to know him. We're reminded of that truth in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why God waits Because there are people who were lost. There are people outside the kingdom of God. There are people who have not claimed their inheritance as a child of God. And God waits. You say, well, God, if you want people to repent, then do something to make them repent. Send some plagues. Send a pandemic. There's an idea. God, do do some signs and some miracles and some wonders that people will talk about for generations. Do something to show people that evil is real, that Satan is real, that hell is real. Do something to show them that you, God, are real, that heaven is real. Then I think it would work. People would repent. Would they? Have they? 
You see, God has another plan. He chooses to use you and me. As remarkable and absurd and and as problematic as that is, God chooses us as his ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That he would use us to advance the cause of Christ, to bring light into this dark world. No, this world isn't as it should be, but God looks to us, his people, and says, you try to make it more by my presence and my power at work in your life, you try to make it more like it should be. You bring heaven to earth. You let the light of God pierce the darkness. I want to use you to do that. You see, the truth is, to be a citizen of God's kingdom is to be an ambassador of God's kingdom. These aren't two separate roles, not two separate identities. Well, I, yes, I am in the church. Yes, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Yes, I, I consider myself in the kingdom of God. Well, that means that you are a representative. You are a messenger. You are an ambassador of that kingdom. It has always been God's plan that his people would draw other people in the world to him that God's people would be a light to the nations, that the world would not be destined for darkness, but that the people of God would be the light of God in this world. Go all the way back after the fall, back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. If you have a Bible, turn there very quickly. It'll be on the screen as well. Genesis chapter 12, God commissions Abram, later Abraham, to be the forefather of his covenant nation, Israel. And the calling, the commissioning goes like this, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, whoever curses you, I will curse and get this. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is commissioning Abram to be the leader to start, to initiate his covenant people, Israel. And it's through that nation that the world would be blessed, that the nations would be drawn into the presence of God, that Israel would be a light to the nations. That's God's plan from the very beginning for his people. They were to draw other people to him so that those people could also see his goodness and his glory. But Israel, like us, often struggled with their identity and their calling. Rather than witnessing to the world, what did Israel do, what we often do? Rather than witnessing to the world, they began to conform to the world. So God sent prophets, his spokespeople, and he told them, you have an important message. Remind my people who they are. Remind them of their identity. Remind them of their calling, that they are to be a light in this world, a light to the nations. But get this, prophets, they won't always listen to you. They will reject you. Your important message will sometimes fall on deaf ears. And then we have what? After the prophets, we have seemingly 400 years of silence from God. Four, four centuries represented by one thin page in your Bibles, your paper Bibles, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You think anyone during that time was wondering, what is God waiting for? Why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't he intervene? Why doesn't he bring about renewal right now? And then finally, light pierced the darkness. 
the heavens opened up and there was a word from the Lord. Not necessarily a word that was uttered audibly by a prophet. It was the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The incarnation, Jesus. And Jesus brought life and he brought light, eternal life. And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus in many ways picks up the the baton that Israel has dropped, that is rooted in that calling from the very beginning back in Genesis 12 for God's people to be a light to the nations. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. These 12, talking about the 12 apostles, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now this is an interesting calling here. We sometimes call it the limited commission. Later, of course, as we will see, Jesus gets to the great commission, but this is the limited commission. Jesus tells his disciples to go to a very specific audience, the lost sheep of Israel, God's covenant people, and give them a message. And here's the message. The kingdom of heaven is being revealed to you. Heaven is coming down to earth, you might say. Through the teachings and the life of Jesus, he is revealing the kingdom. It is near. It is upon you. And so in many ways, Jesus is, again, reminding the people what the prophets tried to remind them of their identity and their calling. They are to be a light in this world. Then after his death and resurrection, before he goes back to heaven, Jesus gathers his followers up on a mountain. And any time in Matthew's gospel, when people are on a mountain, something important is happening. Jesus gathers his followers up on a mountain and he expands their calling beyond the lost sheep of Israel. Yes, that was God's covenant people and they were to to be a light to the world, that it was all going to begin with them, but their purpose and their calling was always to draw nations to God, to see his goodness and his glory. And now Jesus expands that calling to fulfill what God had planned all along. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them there, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. Maybe they doubted that it was Jesus. Maybe they doubted that they should worship him. That word can also mean they hesitated. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You don't have to doubt. Yes, I'm Jesus. Yes, I'm the Messiah. I am the one that has been raised to life. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Yes, Satan tried to give me that authority when he tempted me, but that's not the authority I want or I need or I have. I have the authority from my Father in heaven. And what he's saying is, I am qualified to commission you, to call you. Well, what's the commission? Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now what do we call this commission? We had the limited commission in Matthew 10. This is the great commission. That phrase, that designation is nowhere in Scripture. In fact, scholars believe that it came about in around the 17th century 
when people finally sort of realized, oh, Jesus wasn't just talking to those people on that mountain. He's talking to all of us as followers of Christ. That commission is for all of us. You see, the commission is great because the one who calls us is great. The news we share is great news. And the scope of that calling is great. He says, go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. It is a great commission. And God's plan has always been for his people to draw the world to himself, to increase the borders of the kingdom as they go, to be a light to this nation beyond just one race or one geographical area or one tribe of people but rather to advance the inclusive nature of the kingdom of God to every nation, tribe, and tongue. Again, Revelation 7, remember the scene around the throne room, this, this countless multitude from every nation, tribe, and tongue praising God. That's where we're headed. How do we get there? God chooses us. God chooses us to get there. That is remarkable. That is inexplainable. I don't know if you've rented a car lately. It's really expensive to rent a car these days. It's funny, back in 1972, a guy named David Schwartz dropped out of college, and as a joke, he started a company called Rent-A-Wreck. Maybe you've heard of this company. He thought it would be hilarious to get a few cars that were headed to the scrap heap in California, cars that you know, were dented and dinged and some didn't have bumpers and, and they were obviously used cars and to line them up to advertise and to have people come and look at his cars to possibly rent. He wanted to see their faces when they looked at these cars. He thought that would be hilarious. He said one lady way back then sat in the ripped upholstery of the driver's seat and she said, where's the ashtray? Do y'all remember when cars had ashtrays? Or, you know, for good people, they were gum holders, <laughs> Right? or penny holders. I don't know, you always get gum stuck in there. She says, where's the ashtray? Her husband says, the whole car's an ashtray. <laughs> he thought it would be a joke. You know what? It turns out people loved it. They loved having affordable cars that they could use, that they could rent. They didn't have to worry about getting scratched. And his business grew into this huge business throughout our country and around the world, Rent-A-Wreck. Isn't that our story? I mean, we are all wrecked. We're rolling around with dents and dings. Some of us have a lot of miles on the odometer. We have issues. We have struggles. We're imperfect. And yet it's remarkable that God chooses us to take his life-giving message to the world. It makes no sense, does it? Can you imagine the conversation in heaven? Now, I know it didn't go down like this, but I can imagine the absurdity of God choosing us. And maybe the conversation was something like this. Jesus is thinking, you know, I, I think I want to empower and equip my followers to take this important gospel message into the world, to advance the cause of Christ, to expand the borders of the kingdom. I, I think I want to do that through my people. And I could see Gabriel or one of the other angels saying, no, wait a second, Jesus, let me just, let me just ask you about that. You, you have seen these people, right? 
you, you know what they're like, right? They're not dependable. They're not reliable. They're inconsistent. They have good intentions they never follow through with. They say they're going to do something, but they don't do it. They're messed up. You, you sure you want to choose them? You want to use them? There have, there have got to be better ways. And Jesus says, no, they are perfect for the job. In their imperfection, I make them perfect for the job of spreading the good news. It makes no sense. But then again, if Jesus really did die on the cross, and if he really was raised to life from that tomb, and if he really did take away the sins of the world, of us, then it makes all the sense in the world that we would tell everyone, doesn't it? You see, until you embrace the Great Commission in a personal way, it will always be someone else's job. That's not what I do. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not against it. I'm for it. It's good. But that other people are more qualified. They have more opportunities. They have more resources. Until you embrace it and internalize it, and you make the commission your commission, it will always be someone else's job. Jesus' final command to go and to make disciples is for every believer. And you know the saying, everyone's job is no one's job. Ah, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will pick up the trash. Somebody else. Somebody else will take the gospel into the world. Maybe you've heard this story before. It's titled, Whose Job Is It Anyway? This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. You ready? Hang on. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up being that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. Woo. Reminds me of that old song by acapella. Some of you may remember that song. It reminds me of that. When it, when it comes to responding to the Great Commission, the assumption is that somebody will do it, somebody else will do it. That's why we have missionaries. That's why we have ministers. That's why we have people who are more qualified, who go to school and study the Bible and do all those things. Remember what we said earlier? To be a citizen in the kingdom of God is to be an ambassador of that kingdom. So let me ask you, have you taken ownership of the Great Commission? Have you taken ownership? Have you internalized it as your purpose in this life, your calling? Starting right where you are, wherever you are, you don't have to be in some other country. Start right where you are, in your home, the people around you, your children, your spouse if you're married, your friends, your workplace. Start right where you are, your neighborhood, your community. You see, until we take ownership, the Great Commission is just a familiar passage. Something that looks good on the wall or in a bulletin. Or it's just a line in someone else's job description. Taking ownership of the Great Commission will manifest itself in a number of ways. And it may look a little bit different for you than it does for me or the person next to you. That's part of the beauty of God using us to take his gospel into this world. But one relatively simple way that all of us 
can be involved in taking the gospel and making disciples is by supporting the mission efforts of this church. I know giving is not always easy, but let's, let's be honest. That's a pretty easy way we can, we can do this. That's what Commission Sunday is all about. It's about recognizing our role in God's long-standing plan for his people to be a light to the nations, to bring heaven to earth using the people of God to expand the borders of his kingdom. It's so encouraging and exciting to hear about some of the things that God is doing through our missionaries. Read, if you haven't yet, read this week's e-bulletin and see what some of our missionaries are doing in Nicaragua. They're working with a rehab center and they've already baptized 75 people. And you'll read about Jose, who not long ago was living on the streets and battling addiction. And now he is sober and he is searching and he is coming to know the Lord. See, that's what God is doing. That's what he's doing through us. And hopefully soon, we won't just be sending and supporting, we will be going. As I said earlier, mission trips are such an important part of who we are here, and we hope to begin those again real soon. So let me ask you, where is your heart? Until the importance of Jesus' final command grabs your heart, and you develop this sense of urgency, and you own the Great Commission, and you realize that people outside of Christ are lost, then you will continue to do what you've always done, and so will I. But when we embrace the Great Commission as our purpose for being here, whatever our job, whatever is going on in our life, that doesn't necessarily change. That's just a different context to fulfill the Great Commission. And when we do that, not only is God glorified, but the name of Jesus is taken to the world and light pierces the darkness. So where's your heart? Remember what Jesus said about our hearts in Matthew chapter 6? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. You see, your heart follows your treasure. Really, the truth is, your heart reveals your treasure. The use of your treasures always reveals the loyalties of your heart. You can't get around that. That is something you can't argue against. It's just the way it is. Where you put your time and your money and all of your resources reveals what's most important to you. It is where your heart is. I am thankful to be a part of a congregation who has a heart for lost people who has a heart for mission work, who has a heart for taking the gospel into the world. And we put our money where our mouth is, don't we? We invest so much there. And we praise God that we have that opportunity to do that. Let's continue to let our treasure follow our heart and let's continue to have a heart not only for God, but for the lost people. Watch this short video as we prepare to give. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. 
Those photos, those, those aren't stock photos that we got off the internet somewhere. Those are our people, our missionaries, the people we're trying to reach in places around this world. God is doing amazing things, and we want to be a part of that. And so we ask you to give. Please give today. Many of you have already given. Maybe you want to, to give more. Maybe you haven't given yet. I, I hope that you will make it a priority to give, and give sacrificially. Join what God is doing. You know the different ways to give. They're on the screen. Uh, you know how to do that. We've, we've been through this before. But I would just encourage you to give because the money given on these three Sundays throughout the year goes specifically for mission work, to support our missionaries. And we have a bunch of missionaries. And to do God's work in places all over this world, to bring light into the dark world. And so I would encourage you, don't let today go by without giving something and being a part of what God is doing. Let me offer a prayer of blessing over this contribution in this time together. Join me. Father God, thank you so much for being a great God, the only God, almighty, all-powerful, all-wise, all-loving. God, we look to you for strength. And in this world, you know how desperately we need strength because this world is filled with darkness. We know you are waiting so that all could come to repentance. Father, we also know that you have called us as your representatives, as your messengers, to take the good news to the world. Father, give us the courage, give us the obedience, give us the faith to do that. Help us to embody the gospel, to show the world the light of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the renewing power that you have, Father. Help us to embody that, but also to speak that gospel, to have the courage to speak your name, to lift up Jesus, to point to him, to share what you have done and continue to do in our lives by your spirit, what Jesus did at the cross and at the tomb. Father, help that to be our message to the world. So God, as we go to work and as we go to school, as we interact with family and friends and strangers, help us to look for, to take advantage of intentional moments to represent your kingdom to be your ambassadors. Father, help us to shine your light in this dark world, to bring heaven to earth. Father, in this time, we pray for our missionaries, the men and women out on the front lines in different places who are teaching and preaching and guiding and comforting and encouraging and showing and living out the gospel. Father, give them peace Give them strength. Give them wisdom. And Father, let them know that they are not alone, that you are with them, that we are with them. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give. Thank you for the blessing it is to give. Father, I pray that our heart would always be fixed on you and that we would always have a heart for those who are lost. Father, may our treasure always reflect our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. It is our prayer that God would always open our eyes so that we could see the need out there, that we could see what God's people throughout generations have struggled to see, and that is their identity and their calling. Sometimes we think life is about owning a little piece of this planet, about raising a few kids, making some money, maybe going on some trips, 
and hopefully, just hopefully, leaving this place a little bit better than it was when we got here. Surely there is more to it than that. There has to be, right? Surely there is more to it than that. God invites us into his epic plan to bring light into this dark world to bring others into the throne room of God from every nation, tribe, and tongue so that we can gather and praise the one who sits on the throne. That is our calling. All the other stuff, it's just part of life that folds into that, that calling. And here's the great news. Did you notice that the commission comes with something? It comes with a promise, a promise that he will always be with us. Sometimes it feels like we're all alone, especially when we're trying to put ourselves out there and, and share our faith or invite someone to church or, or do something to share the gospel. It feels like, oh man, I'm on my own here and I'm gonna crash and burn. And Jesus says, hey, don't worry. Not that it's gonna be easy, but you need to know I'll be with you. And so if nothing else sticks today, if you leave here and you're like, I have no idea. He went up there and rambled for a long time, but I'm not sure what he said. If nothing else sticks today, let this stick, that Jesus is with you. That God is with you, his spirit is with you, that you are not alone. And maybe that's the very word you need to hear, that you are not alone. And I can assure you, if you need to hear that word, there is someone in your life, someone in your world who also needs to hear it. So be a messenger of that good news. If we can help you today, we want to do that. Maybe today you're ready to claim your place in the kingdom of God through the blood of Jesus to say, I believe Jesus is who he said he is, and I want life in his name to be baptized into Christ, clothed with Christ, to, raise, to be raised out of that water to live a new life. That's when the renewal begins. Maybe that's your choice today. We want to celebrate that with you. Or maybe we can encourage you and pray for you. In just a moment, a couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in a parlor. It's a room right behind me. They're going to, they're going to be in there praying anyway. And so if you could use some encouragement or prayers, just join them in there in just a minute, and they'd be glad to encourage you. Or if you want to come down to the front, we as a church family would do the same. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words can say.